You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Well, I have been waiting, boy, oh boy, 24, 25 hours for them to release this all 22, and it just wasn't happening, and got to get rocking on the podcast, and as soon as I get started, oh, there it is. Man, oh man. Um, I will tell you this, though. I've gotten far enough. My, My number one goal here is to just watch Christian Watson. That's it. Um Here's here's the update as far as I got before I was like, all right, I got to stop and, and get the podcast going here. There's the first play that he dropped. Then they pulled him. He came back in and he blocked. Then they put him back out there. He ran the exact same thing, just a go route, got behind him again. <laughs> it wasn't quite like the first time, but it was enough where, I mean, it's it's open in the NFL when your quarterback is Aaron Rodgers. He's behind him. He has a step on him. I mean, he, he just just went right past him. So I had messages from people all day saying, yeah, I saw Christian Watson getting open. I watched it, like you were saying, and I, I saw him a bunch of times. And so I started getting pretty excited about it. And yeah, he's, he's two for two from what I've seen. Two attempts to win and get open, and he did twice. Yeah, it didn't take very long. I found another one. Um, I promise I'm going to try to focus on the podcast and not watch this. But I'll tell you what, I'm cooking through this pretty quick when you're just skipping through the plays. Um, I've seen four routes. Three times he got behind the defense. Once he was running, I don't know what kind of route you call that, but technically he was open. I doubt Rodgers would ever throw it. It would have to be kind of a timing thing. So, you know, I don't know. But three times when he was asked to get behind the defense, he got behind the defense. So we're up to three for three. But, you know, he dropped the first one. Shocker, Rodgers didn't even look the second. He, the ball was out before he even got behind the guy because Rodgers like, I ain't waiting. And then the third one was a Zadarius sack. Mistakes, mistakes, mistakes. I am going to keep paging through this as I do this, but um, I am planning on also doing some videos. I'll post them up on uh, the Patreons and whatnot. That's the plan anyways. Substack and whatnot. Um, What do I want to talk about? Uh, A couple things. Let's get the negative thing out of the way. I was kind of just combing through a few things. Um, One of them was pretty negative, and I almost wrote it off as this is a crotchety angry person being a crotchety angry person and I actually didn't realize it was Tyler Dunn that wrote it I thought it was uh, the other guy Bob McGinn because that's what it felt like it felt like a crotchety old man writing that you know is just kind of being an angry person but no it's Tyler Dunn so I was a little surprised by that but um again I was I was ready to write it off just as whatever you're being ridiculous but I kind of you know I guess just kind of took the medicine a little bit and it's nothing really different than was talked about on uh, Packernet After Dark. Not uh, the last one, because I haven't even recorded that yet. But the one before. Let me just 
go through a couple things. And if you're ready to turn the, the podcast off because it just sounds overly negative, I get it. Just take the medicine for a little bit and um, just 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 hear it. We'll process it and then we'll move off it. So first of all, he starts this all off being pretty condescending. It's for a purpose, but it's all kind of obnoxious. Let me start by reading the first paragraph. The quarterback and by extension, the entire Green Bay Packers team entered the 2022 season with the same high supply of swagger that fueled three straight 13 and three win season. Such rhetoric has served as the soundtrack of this phase of Aaron Rodgers NFL career. Teammates dig it, fans eat it up, Rodgers says what's on his mind, whether it's related to demoralizing entire fan bases on the field or ayahuasca and self-love off it. I don't know what that means. And celebrated. And it's celebrated. Uh, It's woven into the DNA of the organization. Confidence is contagious like that. With the team's video camera rolling, Rodgers went full con air the first day of training camp, right down to the tank top, the jeans, and the the toss of the backpack. Oh, yeah. He's shown quite a flair for the dramatic these last few years, and uh, at least during the regular season, he's always backed it up. Ahead of week one, the quarterback essentially told everyone to pipe down with all the Vikings hype. Quote, we've played in some tough environments. This will be another one. Good test, just like all the other teams in the NFC North. It seems like every single year, I think their fan bases and their teams feel like this is our year to win the North. Hasn't really been the case during my time for the most part. A classic line. Because for starters, he's correct. And he goes on to talk about his record a little bit. Goes on to say he proceeded to do what he always does. Light the division foe on fire. Snatch, snatch souls. At Chicago last year, Rodgers famously shouted at fans, quote, I own you, I all my effing life, I own you. One could only imagine what Rodgers was cooking up for these silly imposters across the border. Then, a weird thing happened Sunday evening at U.S. Bank Stadium. The Packers were smacked by the Vikings 23-7. So again, it, it's, it's a little much, but I get it. The point is this, all this talking, all the talk, and he's, he's focused on Rodgers. This is a sort of an anti-Rodgers thing. Rodgers is talking and he can't back it up. I think Rodgers had a pretty good day. In general, though, the team has a lot of hype and a lot of swag. The defense, the quarterback, everybody. And then you come out and do that garbage. I do think there needs to, at the very least, be an element of you need to take your medicine. You've been the one running your mouth this whole time. Now you got to look in the mirror. But here was sort of the second part that also kind of, again, we should at least talk about it. He goes on to say, the loss that should serve as more of a red flag than last year's apathetic 38-3 defeat to the New Orleans Saints because the quarterback and the team must now undergo serious self-examination. My first thought was, why in the world would this be worse than last year? And then it quickly hit me exactly why that is. He goes on to say, Devontae Adams is not walking through those 1265 Lombardi Avenue doors unless something major changes to how they function as an offense, the the Packers' NFC North reign will end. Now, it seems silly on its face to pretend the entire team revolved around Devontae and they can't figure it out. I don't think that's true. But there is an element of, we have to learn to play offense a new way. And by all accounts, we have not learned to do that yet. And if we don't figure it out, we will not win the North. If we don't figure it out, we may not be going to the playoffs. Now, I I understand the general sentiment is going to be, of course, we're going to figure it out. Just relax. Again, we're going to move on from this. But there should at least be an element of what if. We can pretend that we know for a fact that the wide receivers and Aaron Rodgers will get on the same page sometime very soon. We can pretend to know that the offensive line is going to get fixed that David Bakhtiari is going to come back in full health, as is Elton Jenkins. They're going to dominate at the tackle positions. 
there's several assumptions in those in that one thing. We can pretend to know that Josh Myers is going to have a great year, despite the fact that he never has. We can pretend to know that John Runyon is going to come back healthy, and even if he doesn't, Zach Tom will come in and will dominate the left guard spot, despite the fact that what PFF said wasn't true. In fact, there was something that I saw, somebody posted, I think it was like Packers.com or something, it was, it was an article talking about how great of a job Zach Tom did, and they showed every single one of his snaps, and if you find it, I'm pretty sure he was not looking very good on almost any of those snaps. I went in watching it like, all right, cool, they did all the homework for me, and I watched it. He got pushed around a lot. He just spent the entire day in Aaron Rodgers' lap. We could pretend that Royce is the answer at right guard. The bottom line is, we have a lot of question marks at left tackle, whether it's David Bakhtiari or otherwise. We have a lot of questions at left guard, whether it's Runyon and his health and his inability to run block, or whether it's Zach Tom and his giant question mark. We have a lot of questions at center with Josh Myers. We have a massive question at right guard. We don't know what we have there in Royce Newman. Elton Jenkins is about the only thing I'm comfortable with, and I have no idea when he's coming back and what level of health he's going to be back at. And I'm sorry, one really good offensive lineman does not a good offensive line make. Packers have had a lot of good offensive lines in the past, and it's usually when they have five quality players across the line, not one or two. If you have one or two real big liabilities on your offensive line, your offensive line sucks. I don't know what we have in our offensive line. I don't know what we have in our tight ends. I don't know what we have in our wide receivers. I don't know what we have in Stokes. I don't know what we have in Savage. I don't know what we have in Amos. I don't know what we have in Quay. I don't know what we have in Jaron Reed. I'm not sure what Devondre Campbell is going to bring. I don't know what Devontae Wyatt can do. I don't know what Dean Lowry is going to look like. I have no idea what Razul is going to bring in the slot. Again, we can on paper this thing to death, but we saw a version of the Packers that was not what we thought it was going to be. And again, it's very easy to say, well, duh, that's week one. They come out flat week one sometimes. It's not a big deal. They'll figure it out. They probably will. But we can't live on swagger anymore. We can't live on on paper anymore. We have to see it. It has to be a thing that actually happens. The offensive line actually has to block for Aaron Rodgers. And no, it wasn't just Jake Hansen's fault. It was, he was the biggest problem, but he wasn't the only problem. He goes on to say, it's on Aaron Rodgers to accept that this team is unlike any other he has quarterbacked in Green Bay. No longer can the ESP between QB1 and wide receiver 1 power this offense. That's gone. He tried to stay positive afterward, joking, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. But the point is, that is true. And he even made a comment about, you know, he doesn't have that safety blanket out there anymore. There's already been comments by me and other people about, you know, his rookies were open, but he kind of got it in his head. I don't want to go that way. I want to find my safety blanket. Which is, which is okay most of the time when your safety blanket is Devontae Adams, but when it's Randall Cobb, that sucks. No offense to Randall Cobb, but you cannot safety blanket the Minnesota Vikings to death when your safety blanket is Randall Cobb. That doesn't work. Are we going to have to ship Randall Cobb off the team now just to get you to focus and pay attention and, and, and just live with the fact that it ain't going to happen? Sort of the, the next sentence or paragraph down is a pretty good overall summary of, of the article and, and what it is that I'm trying to get across here, and that is the Vikings supplied a painful reminder that the identity of the Packers must change in 2022. We know they have the ability. Everybody on planet Earth knows they have the ability. That's what we've been talking about with this whole on paper thing. But they have to put it in motion. There's a lot of things that people have to do going forward. Matt LaFleur is going to have to make the necessary changes and, and be able to captain this ship without Devontae and, and prove to us that he can make it work. And I, I have no reason to believe he didn't do a good job. Again, I'm watching the game plan. I'm seeing guys come over, whether it's Rodgers not throwing 
or the offensive line not blocking. I can't blame the scheme or the play calling. There's another paragraph here that kind of summarizes that point as well about him stubbornly saying, I'm not looking at you the rest of the day. The Packers' best bet is to stick with Matt LaFleur's playbook. It won't be easy. As color commentator Greg Olson noted during the broadcast, this impatient quarterback has no choice but to be patient. Second-round pick Christian Watson uh, cleanly burnt vet Patrick Peterson on the first play of the game for what should have been a 75-yard touchdown. Maybe it's a totally different game if the 6'4", 208-pounder with 4'3 wheels from North Dakota State doesn't drop the pass, but there's no reason Watson should be ignored the rest of the game. He didn't even see another target until there were three minutes left in the game. If he was talented enough to waste Peterson one-on-one deep, why not dial it up again? They did. I just told you. The next route, or the next time he ran a route, he ran right past him again. Rodgers didn't even wait to see if he was going to get past him. He launched the ball out of his hands, and I'm pretty sure it fell incomplete. The last time Green Bay's passing game was this anemic, back to Mike McCarthy's final season in 2018, Rodgers also tended to ice out young receivers. Another very good line here, or paragraph, it says, I get it, this quarterback operates on his own plane of brilliance, and clearly those around him cannot keep up. Not yet. There's a slight bit of sarcasm there, but, you know, the sarcasm included... It's a true statement, as is the sarcasm. But the true sign of greatness is the ability to make those around you better, to uplift the likes of Watson and Romeo Dobbs and Jawan Winfrey and Sammy Watkins. This is why Green Bay made Rodgers the richest player in the history of the sport, and this is the sort of stuff we've seen countless times from Rodgers' contemporary with six more rings, Tom Brady. I think that is a very good point. I, you know... He has a right to be upset if things aren't going right. And we've heard about other quarterbacks kind of getting upset, but I think Rodgers is kind of in his own realm. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe Tom Brady is the exact same way. Maybe Peyton Manning was the same way. But I just don't see how it helps to treat people like crap. I don't know why it would have been so hard to go over, and, and I don't know what happened. Maybe this did happen. But to go over to Christian Watson on the side, rather than ignoring him and icing him out, because by the way, every time I saw him, he went straight over to his quarterback coach, sat there and threw a fit with his tablet in his hand. Why don't you walk over to where the wide receivers are, go over, pat Christian Watson on the head and say, hey, I'm coming back to you, be ready. You know what that's going to do for a guy like that in his confidence? Or a guy like Romeo Dobbs to say, hey, I need you in this game, man. You look at your tablet, you see Christian Watson getting open, or you see Romeo Dobbs doing something right, you go over there and you tell him and you say, hey, I saw that. That was great. We're going to do it again, and I'm going to get you this time. I don't know if it was an intentional thing to ice these guys out. It certainly looks like it. I don't know how they can get that wide open and never get the ball. But that kind of petty nonsense is just toxic. It doesn't help anything. It might be rational in Aaron Rodgers' mind to be able to say, I can't trust him, so I'm not going there. You know, looking at it mathematically, our odds are better to go in a different direction. Maybe that's what his, his mind is doing. I don't know, but it's a bad plan. Update, Watson was wide open again. I, I've seen him open twice now since. So that, what did I say? Three for three when he tried to get behind the defense, he did. Another play he got open, but Rodgers wouldn't have thrown it. Uh, there was, oh wait, there's, okay, so, yeah, so there was another one where he got, he's kind of sat in an open zone, he decided not to throw it to him, fine, threw it to Dylan, barely got a first down, then there was a play by the end zone that could have possibly been a touchdown, he didn't look his way, he went the other way, then there was an absolute killer, I think it might have been the first or second play after the Vikings got their field goal, Watson is streaking across the middle of the field, could not be any more wide open, this play was, I think it's sort of like a levels thing, but there was a, kind of a cross. So you got one guy going from right to left, two guys going from left to right. And I think he was staring at the two guys that were supposed to cross each other who ran into each other rather than looking at the deeper level, which is Christian Watson, who is wide freaking open. And he was open for a long time and he was standing there. And I posted it on Twitter if you want to see uh, pictures of it. 
I, I did sort of a frame by frame thing. But um, yeah, never threw it, never threw it, never threw it, and then just threw it away. So just a little update on that. Anyways, uh, we'll get off the, the negative thing. Again, it's just, that's, I don't have much doubt that they'll turn it around. I know we can run the ball. We actually did really well with that. I know our guys can get open. I know Rodgers can figure out who to throw to and get some confidence and figure these things out. He's very accurate. I've got some stats to back that up. We're going to go through. Still very accurate. I'm sure I don't need to do much convincing. And, you know, I, again, I don't think the defense was terrible. 23 points is not a lot of points. Take away the ridiculous mental errors. It's so hard not to watch this game back. It gets me excited, though, man. As, as frustrating as it is to see Rodgers throw the ball away when he could have had an easy 30-yard reception on top of... If he just threw to Christian Watson every single play, we probably win the game. <laughs> and he would have had 324 yards and two touchdowns. My goodness. I mean, clearly part of this is not game planning for him because... I shouldn't say that. The Packers supposedly game plan for Justin Jefferson, but it seems like we came into this game with the plan of getting Christian Watson wide freaking open and the plan worked to perfection and Rodgers is like, nah, screw that guy. <laughs> I'm going to stare at these two guys that ran into each other and if they don't separate quick enough before Zadarius or whoever this is in my face gets in my face, I'm going to throw it away. I'm waiting. You guys going to get open? You going to turn around and look at me? Or you going to uh, keep making out over there? What are we doing? Nope. All right. Throwing it away. I don't know. What else? Um, all right, let's let's do this. This is, um, I, I guess it's still semi-negative, but you know, the the more I sit and think about it, I, I maybe it just didn't quite hit me how crazy it is that we didn't run the ball very much. I mean, I know we didn't, and I'm I, I agree with everybody that we should have done it more. But Aaron Jones ran really ran the ball five times. <laughs> like I think the moment hit me when I was. Um, I was over on SIS looking at some different information just for fun, just, you know, pulling up different stats, you know, like depending on how many different guys are in the box or whatever. And I set the number two of attempts really low just with the, you know, just to try to filter some stuff out. And I could not find Aaron Jones. I think I set it to like eight or nine, maybe even 10. I don't know. I just picked a random low number. I wasn't really even thinking. And I'm like, what the heck? I was like, SIS didn't even get all their stuff up yet. Like, come on, man, finish uploading all your things. And then it dawned on me. He ran the ball five times. I'm just trying to see how many number one running backs. And granted, we got two number one running backs or whatever, so it, it kind of kind of differs. But James Conner ran the ball 10 times. Cordero Patterson ran the ball 22 times. Kenyon Drake was 11 times. Joe Mixon ran the ball 27 times. David Montgomery, 17 times. I mean, we don't have to go through all of them, but the point is I'm struggling here. I'm going through and I'm looking Nick Chubb 22 times and trying to find one number one running back that ran the ball five times, or let's, let's put it this way, less than 10 times. Ezekiel was 10. I mean, I guess if we say A.J. Dillon is our number one and Aaron Jones is our number two, at least as a running back, it's very similar to what Dallas did, which isn't great, but 10 for Ezekiel Elliott and six for Tony Pollard. But that just blows my mind. Five times. Tony Pollard's yards per attempt was 1.3. So yeah, didn't really lose a lot with his six attempts. There's an article in The Athletic by Matt Schneidman, and I, I saw the SAS thing, and then I read this article, and that's when it finally hit me, like, no, no, you know what? This is ridiculous. <laughs> this is stupid. The guy averaged 9.8 yards per... And it wasn't just the carries, it was the total touches. He is probably our best receiver and running back-ish, kinda. And he got out-touched all over the field. He caught three passes and ran the ball five times. He touched the ball eight times. Come on. Eight times the guy touched the ball. He had nearly 80 yards those eight times he touched the ball. 
It's funny, in this article it says, um, uh, DeAndre Swift officially leads the NFL with 9.6 yards per carry. But wait a minute, Aaron Jones had 9.8. Why doesn't why isn't Aaron Jones ahead of DeAndre Swift? Because he didn't touch the ball enough to even qualify for the leaderboard. Goes on to talk about, you know, how this is a familiar theme and, and a thing from Matt LaFleur in big losses where he's like, you know, we got away from the run and that's that's unacceptable. He says that line from LaFleur, here, let me read you his quote here. It says, anytime Aaron Jones comes out of the game with eight touches, that's not good enough. That line from LaFleur sounds eerily similar to the ones he's uttered after losses the last four seasons. They primarily center around him lamenting not sticking to the run, but that can be excused in games when the team falls behind big early and must resort to throwing the ball more in order to come back uh, in enough time. Goes on to talk about that's inexcusable, number one, because of his yards per attempt and everything else, but the more important part, it says... However buried they seemed against the Vikings, the Packers weren't truly out of the game until Minnesota took five minutes and four seconds off the clock before Greg Joseph's 29-yard field goal stretched the lead to 16 with 6.48 remaining. At that point, Jones had only seven touches. So yeah, he only got the ball one time after that when they were doing nothing but throwing. But how do you account for a little over three and a half quarters and the guy touched the ball seven times while we were behind? No, not, not by much. We were in it most of the game. If you're telling me that being down, you know, 10 points in your mind means let's panic and throw the ball constantly, that's psycho. It's not even halftime, we're down 10 and you abandon the run. You're out of your mind. That's, that's stupid. So, I mean, the positive here, and this goes back to the last topic, right? The positive here is that the team went out there and fell on its face. Just flat out. I mean, it, it, they they panicked, they pooped themselves, they they cried in the corner, and then they went home stinking on the bus. Or they take a plane, apparently, from Minneapolis. You know, Rodgers, you know, as accurate as his throws were, the guy panicked. He wasn't looking at his road. He didn't, you know, he, he abandoned the game plan. Lafleur abandoned the run. They panicked in Minnesota. And at the end of the day, they only scored 23 points. Did, have you seen, like, the Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills play each other? I know the Packers aren't technically the Chiefs or the Buffalo Bills, although you have Aaron Rodgers and a bunch of deep threats who are wide open all day, so I don't know why you can't score fast. But the point is, we are now in an era where a 21-point lead can be erased in a quarter. Basically, the, the whole taking your foot off the gas thing, it shouldn't even be allowed in football anymore unless you have like a at least a 21-point lead and, you know, the first drive, they didn't go down and score. Okay, finally, we can slow down a little bit. But you don't get to touch anything but the bottom of that gas pedal to the top of your floor for the entire game until this thing is just about over. Because, again, it's nothing these days for teams to fly down and score and then get the ball back and score and get the ball back and score. I mean, it, it takes a matter of, of just a few minutes. And it's so common now to see that. Every offense is a high-flying offense. Even the the sort of ground-and-pound style, I mean, they, they can air it out. We see that all the time. Like, dude, we're up 14. We're crushing them. Then the team goes down and scores in about two minutes. You start to panic a little bit, but you're like, all right, we're good. We're up seven. Our offense is looking good. And then your offense goes three and out, and you're like, oh, we just lost the game. Just like that. We were up two scores. I was feeling good. Three minutes in, and now I'm pretty sure we're going to lose the game. Great. Awesome. This is great. The point is... Play your game, man. You don't have to worry about nothing until maybe after halftime. Just keep doing your thing. I mean, assuming it's working, and it was. Running the ball was working. The thought that you'd have to abandon that before halftime. <laughs> I don't get that. But again, they, they hopefully, ideally, 
will be able to go back, look at the tape, and go, okay, so we're idiots. Joe Barry's going to say, yep, maybe 14% man coverage is a little low. Maybe, maybe pump up those numbers next time we see an elite wide receiver. We're usually at about 24. Maybe instead of going down to 14, we'll go up to about 40. But, you know, we'll see. Maybe instead of running the ball less when it's effective, we run the ball more when it's effective. Instead of running away from our strengths, we'll, we'll lean into it a bit. Rodgers, maybe, you know, start by looking at the deep threat. Peek up top first, see if that dude's open. If he's not, then look a little bit shallower, see if that guy's open. Don't stare at the two guys that run into each other and don't even glance at the guy above them who is wide freaking open. Especially when that's the entire point of the play design is to get the deeper guy open. You got Sammy Watkins. His only role in this play is to clear out the safeties, to make this nice big open spot for Sammy to run through. The guys underneath are just just in case, just in time, just in case. Justin, <laughs> nobody. All right. But here's the other thing with Aaron Jones. That's that's crazy. You know, it's okay. So he's going to take the Tony Pollard role. Here's the problem with that. He's tied for the seventh highest paid running back in the NFL in terms of annual average annual salary. Here's how the rest of the top 10 in order of salary fared in week one. Christian McCaffrey, 14 touches. Alvin Kamara, 12. Ezekiel Elliott, 11. Dalvin Cook, 23. Derrick Henry, 21. Nick Chubb, 23. Joe Mixon, 34. Saquon Barkley, 24. James Conner, 15. Leonard Fournette, 23. That's an average of 20 touches for everyone in the top 10, not named Aaron Jones. So, for most of the guys getting top 10 running back money, they touch the ball 20 times. Now, I know Aaron Jones has a slightly different role, and he's going to be more of a, like a receiving threat on top of everything. That's fine. Here's the problem. That doesn't really change the equation because we didn't use him a ton as a receiver. Dalvin Cook touched the ball 20 times, and Aaron Jones touched it five times. Yeah, well, Jones is more of a receiver. Really? How many receptions did Aaron Jones get? Three? Dalvin Cook had three. Well, it's not about receptions. It's how many times they were out running routes. Oh, okay. Well, Dalvin Cook ran 23. Aaron Jones ran 28. Is it that big of a difference for you? So in total, either being used as a receiver or as a running back, Aaron Jones was used 27 times as a receiver and uh, five times as as a running back. So that's a total of 32 compared to Dalvin Cook's 53. Yeah, well, we have A.J. Dillon. Fine, but then why did we pay Aaron Jones so much money? I'm I'm not trying to sit here and say we shouldn't have paid Jones, okay? I love that Jones is here. He's a great player. We paid him a lot of money because he's an elite weapon. So freaking use him. It's one thing when we've got, you know, a, a game plan that's winning and we're winning the game and we've got a guy like Devontae on the team and we don't need to lean on Aaron Jones. We were not winning the game. We do not have a Devontae Adams. We did not have another weapon that was emerging. Aaron Jones was having a great day. We just chose not to use him. By the way, A.J. Dillon was also having a great day. We decided not to use him either. He did have 10 carries, which is cute. Also had five receptions. 16 times he ran route. I mean, altogether, A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones certainly outsnapped Dalvin Cook, but that's not a worthwhile comparison because now we're just comparing which team had the most offensive snaps. But again, you get to go back and say, yep, should have used him more. Should have used Dillon more. Should have used Christian Watson more. I mean, if, if all they did in this game was run the ball and throw to Christian Watson, we would have annihilated the Minnesota Vikings. Now, that's assuming Christian Watson doesn't drop the ball. I'll grant you that. But I'm just telling you, that alone was a success. It worked. And it's not even to sit here and brag about Christian Watson. Put, put Romeo Dobbs in that role. Let Romeo Dobbs be the guy running that route. He would have run open, too, on that play. It's, it didn't take elite speed to run into a wide-open area. It just happened to be that that route. Now, on the on the plays where he got behind the defense... That's a Christian Watson thing. On that particular play, I don't care who the receiver is. 
whoever it was, you know what? And that's the, that's the other thing that's going to annoy me real quick. If, if he's not going to throw to Christian Watson, first of all, as a head coach, you need to sack up and go over to Aaron Rodgers, get in his face and say, if you do that one more time, I'm going to punch you in the face. I designed a play so that he gets open. He got open and you're not going to throw to him. You're not even going to look at him. We've got a problem. That's BS. However, if we're to that point and you're not going to talk to your quarterback and confront him and say you need to do better, then stop putting Christian Watson in the number one wide receiver roles. Stop designing routes for him. Put Juwan Winfrey over there. Put Randall Cobb in the, in the boundary, I guess. I don't know who. Put Tunyon out there. I don't know what to tell you. Put somebody that he's going to throw the ball to and let Christian Watson just sail down the field and clear out the defense. He'll get his cardio for the day. But this is what most fans are upset about is the lack of adjustment. And I understand the whole adjustment thing is overinflated, right? Aaron Rodgers has already talked about it, or somebody did, that it's, it's, it's or no, it was, uh, it was the Mannings, I think, they were talking about. They're like, there's no real adjustments that happen at halftime. There's not enough time. By the time you get there, there's like a mini pep talk, and you go back to the field. And that makes sense. They spend an entire week putting together a game plan. You can't build a new one in like five minutes. But I have to think there's minor adjustments you can make, even if you're just the head coach. You don't have to talk to the team. Make minor adjustments in your brain. Hey, uh, we should run the ball more. Okay. You know, and, and, and it's Matt LaFleur's in the middle of the fire, but we got 16 guys sitting up in the box up there that are crunching numbers and doing everything else. How isn't somebody in his ear going, hey, coach, uh, we aren't running the ball very much, and we've got Jonesy averaging almost 10 yards per carry. You want to, like, get on that? I mean, we're only down 10 points, 14 points, whatever it was at half. I don't know. I feel like we can, we can run it a little bit. You know, it's working. Here's what's working. Here's what we get. You know, nobody's doing that. What are the conversations to Rogers about Watson? Because again, I'm watching him run open. Is there a conversation happening? Is it, you know, it's, it, again, we're not changing everything at halftime, right? We're not changing our offensive scheme. We're not changing our game plan. We're not making major sweeping changes. I get that. But can you walk up to your quarterback and be like, hey, dude, you're doing all right? Yeah, why? Oh, I don't know. Because uh, that guy we drafted is running open. You're not throwing to him. Is there something I can do for you? Did he call you a bad name or something? I, I could talk to him for you. If he's being mean to you, if he's picking on you, want me to want me to talk to him? Or are you gonna frickin' throw to the guy? Being a little harsh, but I'm 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 just saying, you get your one week reprieve and that's it. You don't do that again. Whatever the problem is, you fix it now. Because there are talent issues that are concerning, like along the offensive line, and then there are just stupid mistakes. And Rogers loves talking about stupid mistakes, so let's talk about stupid mistakes, Rogers. Because I want to be excited about this. I want to watch this and go, oh, you, the freaking, the Bears have no idea. They have no idea what's going to happen to them. And then there's a thought in the back of my head that goes, what if, what if it's the same thing though? What if it's, what if he doesn't throw it and when he does, Christian drops it and then it just causes all these problems and, you know, Dobbs is open and he drops or what if, what if the run and, and just clean it up, clean it up. Because I'll tell you what, we should have annihilated the Vikings, plain and simple. No reason we couldn't have beat 23 points. And the Vikings shouldn't have even scored 23 points because our defense also was just... <laughs> Clean it up. I want to be excited because I'm, I'm sitting here watching. Here, you know what I'm looking at right now? Here's the garbage that I have to see online as I'm trying to do uh, my homeworks. I'm looking at uh, PFF's power ranking, right? You figure, okay, Packers are going to drop a little bit in the power rankings. And, and it's fair that they're going to drop, right? So I'm scrolling and I'm scrolling. My number one, Buffalo Bills. I get it. They came in number one. They annihilated. Good-looking offense. Scary-looking defense, 100%. Kansas City Chiefs dropped 44 on a playoff-caliber team, 100%. They should be a close number two. Tampa Bay, a little bit iffy. I watched that game, but hey, you know what? It's Tom Brady. They won the game. 
give it to them. Chargers, whatever, cool, I get it. Vikings, yeah, man, whatever. Vikings, I get it. We'll get into that in a minute, but yeah, I, I understand for the time being that makes sense that they would be up high. Philadelphia, scary-looking offense at least. Baltimore, whatever. Okay, uh, Miami, all right, whatever. Saints, I guess. Cleveland, yikes. Okay, number 10. Steelers, um, Packers aren't better than the Steelers? With Trubisky, okay, all right. Well, that's 11. Where are the Packers? Seattle Seahawks. Seattle Seahawks. I Listen, I, I know. I watched part of that game. But the Seattle Seahawks are a bad football team, dude. All right? They're a bad football team. I know they, they came out ready to play, and kudos to them. Geno Smith played the game of his career. They were playing with their hair on fire. Good for them, man. They played to beat, um, what's his name? <laughs> you know the guy, the quarterback. And uh, between the motivation from the Seahawks, uh, Russell Wilson is his name. Kind of playing terrible from what I saw. That dude. He looked like garbage. Plus, he could not handle the fan noise, which made me so happy because, I mean, I don't know. I, I shouldn't hate on the guy, but you've lived on that for so long, and now you got to endure it. It's kind of funny. And then the penalties on top of it, but come on, man. Seahawks are not better than the Packers, right? So, okay, keep going. Washington Commanders are 13. The New York freaking Giants are 14. The Chicago Bears... The Chicago Bears are 15. Then they have the Colts and the Texans tied at 16, Cincinnati Bengals at 18, the LA Rams at 19, and the Packers at 20. And this is this is the commentary that they use. And by the way, here's the thing. There is so much gloating right now from the media that wanted the Packers to fail, wanted this to be a failure because of all the narratives. First of all, they hate Aaron Rodgers. They're not a big fan of the Green Bay Packers, as we heard somebody say before the game. The Packers annoy him. But on top of that, it's the wide receiver thing, which doesn't really make sense because we went out and got wide receivers like we were told, but that's not good enough now. You still didn't go get wide receivers, apparently. Again, don't know how that worked. But here is the commentary. It takes real hubris to think replacing Adams is as easy as finding a few rookie receivers and signing a, a historically underachieving veteran. So the Packers got what they deserved to some degree in the opener with no wideout topping 37 yards. Romeo Dobbs got those honors, and Christian Watson's drop uh, dropped would-be touchdown serving as the most memorable moment. You can feel the glee. You got what you deserve, you jerks. For what? Drafting receivers like you told us to? You momo? It might take some time for the passing offense to coalesce, but things also weren't as bad as they seemed in the Packers' seven-point effort. They picked up first downs at a fine rate, but stalled out on third down and turned the ball over twice. Then it says R-E-L-A-X, in what I have to assume is a somewhat sarcastic comment. The Packers get dropped to 20th in a power ranking, and the comment is they got what they deserve for not getting wide receivers. Or how about this one from The Athletic, written by Alec Lewis. What Viking star Justin Jefferson's week one performance says about what's possible for 2022? This dude capitalized on blown coverage, and we got to hear about how elite this stupid team is. They had a good game. I'm not saying they didn't. Defensive line looked good. Wide receivers looked good. Kirk Cousins looked good. They always have, but yeah, they still look good. Justin Jefferson capitalized on blown coverages. That's where the vast majority of his yardage came from. He still had a bunch of other catches. He would have had a big day, no question, and he will all year. I've been saying the guy's maybe the number one wide receiver in the NFL for months now. But again, 
Why do we have to do this? And and this is what annoys me about the Packers. And I've said this before. It's not just that you lose. It's that you lose in historically embarrassing ways. When you lose to the 49ers, you get blown out in, in, in massive proportional ways. Justin, I mean, can't you just sneak under the radar with your loss? Can't you lose by three like a, like with some dignity? No, we got Justin Jefferson as the number one receiver of the week against the Packers and this elite Packers defense. <laughs> and now we got to hear about this. Oh, I was right. Vikings offense, even though they scored 23 points, Vikings offense and Justin Jefferson and this new offensive coordinator is a genius. And look how good the quarterback looks. Yeah, about as good as he's always looked because he's always been this good. Nobody's ever noticed it before. Jefferson was readying for pregame drills when O'Connell stopped him. The coach patted number 18 in purple on the shoulder, chatted with him for a few seconds, then slapped Jefferson's helmet with a smile as if to say, you are special. Oh, gag me. Gag me with a hot spike, will you? What is this, a romance novel, Alec Lewis? You dork. Put your clothes back on and let's talk about what actually happened, okay? Freak. The football world knew this before the Vikings convinced this is the you are special thing. The football world knew this before the Vikings convincing 23-7 victory over the Packers. Notice how you don't even hear yourself saying 23. But Jefferson's nine-catch performance for 184 yards and two touchdowns further cemented his limitless potential in a new system designed to highlight his ability. It was a blown coverage! Jeez! How did the man who broke the NFL record for most receiving yards in the first two seasons of his career find so much space Sunday? It begins with an entirely new offensive scheme brought by O'Connell, who last year was the offensive coordinator for the Super Bowl champion Rams. Oh, shut up. This is embarrassing, dude. Dude, O'Connell's so good, he schemed our cornerbacks to run into each other. He's so good. He schemes confusion into our safety's brains. It's amazing. Or how about this article, also by The Athletic, this one written by John Krasinski, another Minnesota guy. He, uh, he says, Kirk Cousins has Justin Jefferson, Aaron Rodgers has no one, as Vikings stake their claim. Listen to me, all I'm saying is, fix it. Fix this, okay? Rodgers, please fix this. Lafleur, fix this, all right? Because John Krasinski is pissing me off, all right? Kirk Cousins has Justin Jefferson. Aaron Rodgers has no one. (laughs) The sideline told the story in the Minnesota Vikings' victory over the Green Bay Packers. On one bench sat Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers, gesturing in frustration and cursing at anyone within earshot as he got used to life without Devontae Adams. When did that happen? I don't... Okay. On the other, Kirk Cousins sidled up to Justin Jefferson, the receiver, challenging him and a few others for the title of the best in the NFL, and peppered him with backslaps as the Vikings poured it on the first half. If the NFC North balance of power is going to tilt toward Minnesota, it will do so on the fulcrum of the quarterback-receiver relationship, blossoming blossoming in purple and wilting in green and gold. You guys are so dumb. You guys are so lame. You know that? You're so lame. Is this what failed writers do? Failed novelists become sports writers or what? This is, this is gross. Quarterback-receiver relationship blossoming in purple and wilting in green and gold. Jeez, aren't you embarrassed? That's weird, dude. Goes on to talk about later about how Rodgers said best player in the game when Rodgers was talking to Jefferson. Gee, sounds like a guy throwing a temper tantrum, doesn't it? Screaming and swearing at everyone. 
and then very calmly and cordially congratulating Justin Jefferson, telling him he's a great football player. Anyways, point is, fix it. You had your one week. It sucks that it was the Vikings. I really wish we could have played some nobody team. It really, I don't get it. Why The NFL is, is saying we don't want preseason, but we also want week one to be amazing. So we're going to put all these divisional games together. Why are you doing that? Why do you let the Baltimore Ravens off the hook with the Jets? How do we get some of that action? It's not fair, man. Anyways, that's it. That's it for that uh, stuff, I guess. I, I just, again, it's positive. I'm going to, we're going to take a break. And while we take a break, I'm actually going to take a break. I'm going to watch some more plays because I want to watch Christian Watson run wide open again. That's what I want to do today. Anyways, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If you'd like to support this year's podcast, you can do so for as little as a buck a month. Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry, if you'd like to support um, my father's new ministry down in southern Indiana, helping people that are uh, desperately in need, that would be greatly appreciated that you can find links to that pinned to the top of my Twitter, as well as in the top of the Pack and Podcast Facebook group. And of course, do not forget, we've teamed up once again with pristineauction.com for you. On Monday, I believe that's this coming Monday, right? Yeah, it's got to be. We're going to be giving away a Jordy Nelson signed football championship trophy. To win that trophy, all you got to do is go to pristineauction.com, go to register, or follow the link that you can find in the description of this show, assuming I remember to do that. When you register, use registration code FARV, F-A-V-R-E, to be entered, and Pristine Auction will kick in $10 off your first winning auction. So when you win something, we're going to give you 10 bucks off. The drawing will be held Monday, September 19th. So if you're procrastinating like I like to do, you better knock it off. We got one week down, one week to go. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. ProceneAuction.com, register, far, good to go. Take a break, we'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You well, know, NFL, uh, NFL Plus is buffering to death, so it doesn't want me to watch anymore. I guess I got to go back to work. All right, I caught another one. On the, if you're curious on that Cobb interception, and again, this is another one Rodgers is never going to throw because of trust issue. But this is, this is a situation where once the trust develops, it's another thing that's going to kill. The timing route, when you've got corners who are refusing to let you get behind them, and they're sprinting in the wrong direction, and you stop and you come back, if that ball's right there, which is going to take some communication, that's that's stealing yards. Because let me back this up here. So the ball is all already out of Rodgers' hands, right? And again, he's never going to throw this. We're at the 25. It's the first play when he throws the pick to Cobby. Christian Watson's at the 40. It's a 15-yard play. Well, the ball's not out. He's going to scramble, but whatever. So he couldn't have thrown it anyways, but that's not the point. When Christian Watson breaks from his route, the DB is facing the wrong direction. If I could show you this screenshot, I would. And if you, again, go over to uh, the Substack and subscribe or patreon.com. We'll go over some of this, but he's open. Now, if you wait for him to see if he's going to be open, it's going to get picked. But if you throw this thing at the right time, this is easy. You're stealing 15 yards. And the reason it works so well is because these guys have been getting beat by Christian Watson. With, with a lot of these other guys, they'll kind of stay in your hip pocket, right? They're, they're kind of staying with you. They're, they're, their hand is basically on your hip. So if you stop and turn around, they can stop and turn around and break up the pack. So even when you're timing it, if they turn around, flail their arm, there's a good chance they're going to break it up. This corner has to be running in front of Christian Watson. He can't even reach out and touch him because if he gets that close, Christian's going to get behind him. So he has to give him a ton of space. And this is exactly what I said about Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill is a, is a problem without a solution. If you get too close, he runs past you. If you start, stay too far behind, they start throwing these screen routes or this kind of stuff where he'll run at you. And if you run away, he'll just stop. Turn around, the ball's there, stealing yards. Now, again, the, this is a major benefit because already they're playing, they, they learn. So this is, this is halftime now. And they've realized, hey, Christian's getting behind us on every single route. This is, this is I'm not going to say it's an adjustment or whatever. Maybe it's just the corner. I don't know. Maybe it's the play design. But the point is, now they're not letting him, they're not even going to give him a chance to get behind him. So now the Packers start doing this. What are you going to do? Now, in this case, there's nothing, I mean, it's a perfect way to play Christian Watson. And the Bears are probably going to do that. And that's going to be the problem. They're going to play so far off, they're not going to let him get behind. So there's going to have to be an element of trust because you're going to have to kill him underneath. But you can steal yards if you can work on that. And they should be working on that all week. If they're going to give you a 10-yard cushion and you start running and that, that DB starts backpedaling, so you've gone five yards and he's still 10 yards away from you, by the time you get to 10 yards, he's five yards off you. If that ball's right there, you just stole five, 10 yards plus whatever you can turn around and steal. And there's no solution for that. What are you going to do? Not give him a cushion anymore? Okay. <laughs> Buckle up, boys. I mean, you're, you're legitimately, even after week one now, starting to look at this and say, Watson is the guy we got to take away. If I, My untrained eye, I'm watching this and I'm saying, Watson's the guy we got to take away. Make them throw to Romeo Dobbs. Make them throw to Sammy Watkins. Make them throw to Alan Lazar. This is the guy we have to take away. Just saying. No, that was a drive before half. I was like, dang, we're taking a knee to end the game? That doesn't seem right. Oh, no, it's halftime. Oh, jeez. All right, I'm, I'm done after this. I'm done with this, after this, but <laughs> next play that Christian Watson I can see out there, he gets wide open, but you know why he gets open? Daniil Hunter is covering him. 
Daniil Hunter is covering Christian Watson in the slot. Now he comes open, but it was never really a pass route to begin with. Maybe it was a maybe it was a uh, an option. I don't know, but we run the ball. I, look, man, um, I'm trying to think how many times out of a hundred are you going to find Daniil Hunter covering a wide receiver in the slot, and the quarterback doesn't check out of that play. Let's just let's just play an obvious game here. If that was if that was Devontae Adams, what would they have done? If that was Randall Cobb, what would he have done? If that was Alan Lazard, what would he have done? Daniil Hunter is covering Christian Watson here. I, I looked at it because um, DJ Wonham is number 98, and I thought that must be 98. And I looked at it, and I checked it a bunch of times. It's not 98, it's 99. It's not 98, it's 99. And then I went back far enough. Yep, 99 comes off the line and covers him. It's crazy, man. Yeah, even even on this play, it was a it's a run, but Christian Watson just runs like a slant, and he obviously flies past Daniel Hunter because it's Christian Watson and Daniel Hunter. It's painful, man. But whatever. All right, so uh, let's look at this. So SIS has got a bunch of stuff up. I just want to go over a couple different statistics, partially because it um, is informative, partially because it's positive for the Packers, and partially because it's negative for the Bears. And these are three really good reasons to cover data. Um, looking at passing statistics for SIS, they got some really cool things. That's sort of, you've probably heard me say SIS. And if you're new, I apologize for not really explaining what it is. It's, um, it's not really like PFF, but kind of, they chart every single play, but it's, it's more charting than grading, I guess. And although PFF kind of does charting too, they don't really give you access to it. This is just giving you access to every little detail so that you can select or deselect whatever you want. And, and, uh, get data based on that. So for example, um, was having a polite conversation with a Chicago Bears fan who was uh, talking about how great Justin Fields was when he was under center. Now, generally, that's a pretty basic way of saying playing quarterback, but he literally meant under center as in, please don't put him in shotgun. So whatever, but I can actually click on that. I can click yes in shotgun or no in shotgun and look at all of Justin Fields throws while under center. He was like three of six for 36 yards or something really not impressive, but he did throw a touchdown and he did not throw that pick while in shotgun. So I guess it was better. Anyways, that's not what I really wanted to cover. Um, just telling you like what kind of things SIS can do. We can look at quarters. You can look at downs. You can look at field position. You can look at yards to go time remaining score differential. You can obviously select team conference division. Home, road, away, climate, whether there was play action, whether there was pressure, whether he was in the pocket, RPO, whatever. So we'll start with some basic stuff, uh, especially for the quarterbacks. One of the things that I really like is their catchable and on-target passing. I actually did this for Justin, or no, for uh, Jordan Love. I keep doing that. I keep confusing them for some weird reason. Um, I was just curious. I I did that week one where I was kind of going through and saying, okay, well, you know, were they on target passes were they catchable passes or was it uncatchable catchable meaning maybe not a perfect pass but the receiver should be able to catch it on target is the ball was right where it was supposed to be so anyways first of all the only quarterback with 100% of his passes being catchable jordan love <laughs> that's pretty good man i mean he only had 5 passes but still that's pretty good um somewhat more impressive though was josh allen actually 96.8% out of his 31 passes not too far behind, you've got Kirk Cousins and then Aaron Rodgers. So hilariously, you had maybe the best quarterback battle, just if you're just looking at accurate, precise quarterbacks in that Vikings-Packers game. 92.9% of Kirk Cousins' passes were catchable. 
92.9% of Aaron Rodgers' passes were catchable. The worst quarterback in terms of catchable passes was Trey Lance. The second worst in terms of catchable passes was Justin Fields. (laughs) So two of the best and most accurate quarterbacks played in the Vikings-Packers game, and the two worst quarterbacks in terms of accuracy were in that Bears and 49ers game. The two worst. Now, Trey Lance was worse if you look at on target, which is to say, you know, if, you, if you're being real precise, you know, Trey, in other words, Trey Lance got away with a couple that his wide receivers bailed him out on. But if you're looking at on target, Aaron Rodgers ranks, let me filter out the Jordan Loves and whatnot. Um, Aaron Rodgers ranks, where did he go? He ranks sixth. Kirk Cousins was 10th. Trey Lance was um, 27th with 57.7% of his passes being um, on target. Jared Goff was dead last, 52.8%. I did go back and watch that game. That was pretty bad. Um, There were a couple times I wanted to be impressed, and all of a sudden he just throws, I don't know what the heck it was. And um, you look at it and you realize, man, he's really holding this team back. I mean, the defense was the biggest problem, but they're not going to be anything until they fix him. But then Justin Fields ranks 24th out of 30 quarterbacks with 64.7% of his passes being on target. But here's the other thing that I like to do. Because if you throw, let's say, 50% of your passes that are at the line of scrimmage compared to another guy who throws 5% of his passes at the line of scrimmage, just making up numbers, you would expect the guy who threw closer to the line of scrimmage would have a higher completion or or, um, catchable percentage and on target percentage because it's an easier pass. So what I like to do is I bump up the air yard selector, which is to say you have to throw the ball at least five yards for me to care. And I got to bump my numbers down because Fields didn't throw the ball very far very often. But on passes that actually matter, and I probably should bump this out even further, but let's let's say we're just looking at general passes, but it has to at least be five yards. Aaron Rodgers actually ranks second. 90% of his passes were on target, five yards and beyond. 90%. And again, this isn't catchable. This is right on target. Aaron Rodgers' problem was decision making. It was not his arm, which again I'm, I'm fe- I feel good about because you can you can work on the decision processes. If there's something wrong with your arm or or you know the the accuracy isn't there, that's that's concerning for different reasons. Aside from Josh Allen, he was by far the most accurate quarterback. Uh, he was 90 percent. Third place, Daniel Jones, 84.6. There were only four quarterbacks 80 or above. Kirk Cousins was 10th. Tom Brady, the bum, was 17th. Yes, I'm spiteful. I'm that way. Mitch Trubisky was 25th. Trey Lance, 27th. Justin Fields was 29th. 44.4% of his passes were on target. But it's worse than that because it was also 44.4% were catchable. (laughs) It's not like 44.4% were on target and then there were a bunch that were also catchable but a little bit off target. Nope. Nope. And then Jared Goff was actually dead last. 36.8%. Now, here's the crazy part. 73.7% were catchable. That's actually quite high. But he had 36.8%, which is to say his accuracy was just not great. It was catchable, but just not where it needed to be. Overthrown, underthrown, behind the receiver, all that kind of stuff, to where it was catchable, but it was not necessarily a good ball. So, you know, there's a lot of talk about the Packers are not that good, and the the you know, the Lions offense has got some hype and the Bears obviously got some hype. Listen, Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in the division. Kirk Cousins is second, right? There's a little bit of a gap and then it's and then it's second. And then you have Justin Fields and Jared Goff in the basement. They were there last year. You can talk about the rain all you want. They were there last year and they stayed there. 
Go back and watch that pick that Justin Fields threw. Go on Twitter, type in Justin Fields interception. It'll pop up. See how much rain you see. There is not a lot of rain. There's a lot of water sloshing around on the ground, on the ground, but you don't really see the rain start to hit until like, what, the end of the third quarter, the fourth quarter? Around the time the 49ers needed to come back, that's when the rain started to kick in. If we add a slight layer of complexity and bump it out to 10 yards, Aaron Rodgers is fourth. 80% of his passes were on target. Tied with Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen at 88.9. Daniel Jones, only four attempts. He didn't do it a lot, but 100% of those passes were on target. Kirk Cousins kind of plummets here. 83.3 were catchable, but only 50% were on target. Mitch Trubisky is actually higher at 54.5%. I'm going to keep checking in on him because it's funny, especially when I compare him to Justin Fields, who we're about to get to. Then you go all the way to the bottom, and the bottom two quarterbacks, Justin Fields, 37.5% were catchable, 37.5% were uh, on target, on target and catchable. Jared Goff had the lowest at 27.3%. But the funny thing is, if you look at the lowest that are catchable, so on target is like precise accuracy, catchable though. Every single quarterback out of 31 had at least half of their catches catchable beyond 10 yards. Every single one, except one quarterback, and that was Justin Fields. Matt Stafford ranked 30th, with 50% of his passes being catchable beyond 10 yards. Justin Fields, 37.5% of his passes. Three out of eight. Again, I understand there's weather, but this dude's got accuracy issues. He did last year. He did last week. Is he going to stay dead last in the NFL? Probably not. I'm sure that'll come up when the weather improves, but that was pretty trash. And either way, Jared Goff, just horrific. And that's a big problem for a team that's going to lean on their offense. So again, all that to say, it's still Rodgers, then Cousins, then a massive gap, and then you can let Fields and Goff fight it out however you see fit. I don't care who you think is better. Really makes no difference to me. As long as we all agree that those two sit in the basement, we have no disagreement. And the positive thing here is that Justin Fields actually kind of pushes the ball a little bit down the field. He had the eighth highest average throw depth. Another benefit, you're going to hear a lot about the Bears offensive line being real good. Pressure rates. Only five quarterbacks were pressured at least 40% of the time. Kirk Cousins, 42.4%. He was fifth. The only quarterback pressured on 50% of his dropbacks is Justin Fields, 52.2%. And again, if it isn't his offensive line's fault, whose fault is it? Just saying, it's one or the other. Either it's not true that the offensive line is great, or... The offensive line is great, and I guess the running back and tight ends are really bad, or he holds the ball too long and stuff like that. Either way, you've got one of the least accurate quarterbacks who was under pressure more than any quarterback in football last week coming to Green Bay. Zippity-doo-dah. While the Green Bay Packers sit back and watch Christian Watson run wide open all day long and go, hey, I got an idea for next week. Hopefully. Anyways, that's enough. There's more things to look at, but they don't have all the stats up for the running and the receiving and everything. So we'll wait on that. It's been an hour. We're good. Uh, You guys have a great day. Uh, We'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.